Until China's ASAT test in January 2007, India had no plans of developing ASAT capabilities or never felt the need to develop these destructive capabilities. But following the Chinese ASAT test, India felt that it had to develop its own means to protect its assets because it had made significant investments to its primarily civilian space program with vast societal impact. Watchers, I'm Emma, the editor-in-chief of Spacewatch Global, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Today's episode is in partnership with the Secure World Foundation, a non-profit that focuses on the long-term sustainability of outer space and Earth orbits, as well as space security and stability considerations. Series, composed of two episodes, wants to reinforce some of the nuances of the discussion held at this summit for space sustainability on why debris housing anti satellite tests are so destabilizing. Today's interview focuses on India and how and if India perceive as a test and debris as an urgent issue. Discussing with us this extremely nuanced matter, there is Raji Rajagopalan the director of Center for Security Strategy and Technology in Delhi. Raji knows very well the multiple angles and geopolitical interests that wait in when it comes to destructive tests. And she discussed them with me in details in this very honest interview, during which she laid out for me her thoughts on the matter. Listen up and enjoy. Hello, Space Watchers, and welcome back to another episode of Space Cafe Radio. Our guest today is Raji Pillai Rajagopalan, the Director of Center for Security, Strategy and Technology in Delhi, India. Raji, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Absolutely looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. So there are so many things to say, Raji, about India, and 20 minutes are not going to be enough. So I have to cut a bit our conversation. And focus it on some specific topic. This is an incredible moment for India. You guys just launched Chandrayaan three few weeks ago, and if it lands, it might make history. India signed the Artemis Accord just again a few months ago. So there are so many things to discuss, but I want to focus the topic of today on ASAT testing and the security and safety of our orbit. So when it comes to ASAT and military security um, related issues, the, comp- the discussion with India is still a bit complicated. India is not new to ASAT test, but today we know so much more about testing, about ASAT. We know that they have very serious consequences on our orbital environment. So my first question for you is, does India have concerns about ASAT test debris? Uh, thank you, Emma. That's a great question to start with. Like you said, India is not new to ASAT tests. Uh, ASAT capabilities have existed in the past as well. And India's concerns about ASAT traditionally, when you look at it, it's uh, decades old, actually, when India used to be a vocal critique of the U.S. and Soviet anti-satellite tests are uh, going back to the 1960s, 70s, and even until the 1980s when both countries stopped their ASAT tests. But these concerns from the past decades were not necessarily about space debris uh, because it was not uh, such a big issue uh, at that part of time. But India's concerns today are more to do with the space debris 
and how the space environment is getting more and more polluted with more and more countries pursuing military space program, weaponizing space beyond acceptable limits. Again, we don't have an agreed upon definition on what is acceptable limit, what are the kind of responsible behaviors that we need to pursue and so on and so forth. But space is getting weaponized and polluted by a handful of countries who have pursued programs with no regard for the space environment in some sense. Rhetoric, there is no shortage of it. Every space power wills that space is only for peaceful uses, that space should not be militarized, space should not be weaponized. So we are not short on rhetoric. And official policies continue to remain this for most countries around the world today. Nevertheless, these countries, all the top three or five space powers, when you look at them, they have pursued space programs in a way that is not necessarily conducive uh, in maintaining the sustainable as of space environment. Countries are pursuing a space program with re no regard for the future generations and their ability to use space in, an, in a sustainable manner. So if we continue down this path of damaging activities, our continued and sustained access to space is not a given. It can be, we may not have access to space even in the medium to longer term, I would say. Um, so this remains a concern for many countries, but most countries are also pursuing activities in a manner that is driven by other interests, geopolitical interests and so on and so forth. India does have its own concerns about anti-satellite tests and especially the debris that it creates each time and so on and so forth. So yeah, I can go on a longer answer, but let me stop here. Exactly. I really appreciate your answer, especially because I suppose an unstable space environment would somehow impact India's future space plans, correct? So India has expressed concerns about the space environment, as in particular, um, even in recent years. It's close to two decades, for instance, when uh, since China conducted its first successful uh, ASAT test. And uh, India has been worried since then how ASATs in the Southern Asian context are becoming unstable development. Uh, ASATs are seen as inherently destabilizing in nature uh, because it can give way to two follow-on developments. One, it spurs other countries to contemplate on how they want to respond to the new reality of ASATs in their backyard and how that capability might be deployed. So it gives way to potentially an impetus for other countries to pursue ASAT. Since even in 2007, following the Chinese ASAT test, in 2008, the U.S. conducted its own ASAT test so that oh, Operation Burn Frost, so that they are not left behind uh, and sort of a, some sort of a catching up with China, so to say. And the Southern Asian context, again, provides a perfect example of this chain reaction. Until China's ASAT test in January 2007, India had no plans of developing ASAT capabilities or never felt the need to develop these destructive capabilities. But following the Chinese ASAT test, India felt that it had to develop its own means to protect its assets because it had made significant investments to its primarily civilian space program with vast societal impact. And therefore, any interference or destruction of its space assets would have its impact felt socially, economically, and even in security terms in recent years. The second follow-on aspect to this is the space debris generated as a result of the ASAT test. In fact, uh, India's space agency, ISRO, has made the same set of concerns as other space agencies to suggest that because of the enormous speed in which these space debris pieces uh, move around, a collision with even a centimeter-sized object can cause 
a space assets catastrophic failure leading to mission closure. So we are talking about severe impact impacting upon a communication satellite, earth observation satellite, or your navigation satellite that could be used by the society for civilian functions or by the Indian military, for instance, for the PNT-related function, position, navigation, and timing-related functions. So the impact is going to be felt across different sectors and different geographies as well, given the interdependence that we see today. Thank you, Rajan. What you say is very interesting because often it's difficult to understand if it as a test has been developed as a threat or as a protection, as a reaction against the threat. I think this is why the US proposed the as a test moratorium last year, just to avoid development of as a test at all. What's your take on it? I think this that moratorium is extremely important, but I'm also somewhat skeptical because I know how much of a an uphill task it is going to be in order to secure the necessary support, finding that agreement involving all the major space players. Because we have seen several efforts over the last few years, last few decade in particular, in terms of dealing with various aspects of space security. But getting that kind of support, everybody recognizes the threats, everybody recognizes the challenges. There might be differences in terms of the priorities, but it is the lack of political will that is critical that's become the problem today in developing that consensus. And without that consensus, it may be difficult to move ahead and make it in a sort of an internationally accepted ISAT moratorium. I wish more and more countries would see the benefit of doing this because at the end of the day, like I said, ASADs are inherently destabilizing. It can give way to many more destabilizing follow-on spiral actions in a sense. So we need to put a stop to this. But getting the support involving all the major space players in today's international political climate seems like a really uh, extremely challenging task. Yeah, especially because the moratorium at the moment is not legally binding. I think this is maybe where the skepticism come from. Does this concern India? It might be a concern for India because traditionally India insisted on legally binding verifiable instruments. But lately, over the at least since about since 2012, when the EU proposed International Code of Conduct came about, those debates came about, India has been seen to be somewhat more pragmatic to recognize that one has to possibly start with non-binding political agreements, then work the way in building that critical support for a legally binding mechanism eventually. But I think India has become mindful of the fact that in today's climate, it is going to be extremely difficult to get a legally binding mechanism signed on with everybody in it. So you might have a legal mechanism that is signed on by one, two, three, four countries, or maybe you will have 100 countries. But if the critical countries are not part of it, the efficacy of that instrument is questionable. And therefore, my own sense is that while India has insisted on traditionally legally binding instruments, they have also become much more pragmatic about how to go about it. Having said that, even an international political instrument can be binding domestically in terms of legal binding nature of it. Because you can, especially in terms of how a particular state goes about developing legal measures, regulations within a country to comply with the global political com commitment and obligations, so on and so forth. So it need not be all political and not legal. It can be a politically a political instrument at the international level, but how it is implemented by a nation, by a state, 
can be done through legal means. So there are, there can be legally binding aspects to it in the domestic context at the national level, but at the international level, uh, at least for the timing, I would think we may have to go for political measures, transparency and confidence building measures and so on and so forth, or a code of conduct before we actually gain um, sufficient confidence in each other, especially among the major space players, to develop that consensus, to develop that agreement among all the major space players. Thank you, Raji. You mentioned something very interesting. You mentioned the importance, in your opinion, of the bigger players signing a legally binding document. So do you think that India might support a treaty, so something legally binding, that would ban destructive as a test? So India clearly has interest in a sad test ban treaty, but somewhat I suspect that India's position, it will also be driven by how China and Russia would respond, whether they sign on to it, especially if China signs on to it or not, will be an influencing factor determining India's stance. So on the other hand, India can take the high ground and say that ASATs are so inherently destabilizing and this needs to be banned and that India will remain a responsible power taking a stand against ASAT. But it's going to be somewhat more complicated. I wish in Indian leadership would see these things in a much more pragmatic perspective as to how India can strengthen its own credibility as a responsible power. But I think India's position is more or less going to be driven by the geopolitical interests and particularly in relation to China. So how China positions itself on such a treaty is going to determine, is going to influence a lot of how India will position itself on the, on the treaty. Raji, I think you already partially gave me the answer to my next question, but I want to ask you just to clarify. Why do you think that India abstain on the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 7741, which is a resolution that supported the direct assent as a test? Partially, I think uh, the fact that it is non-binding may have influence, but I think more than that, you have some of the critical countries, both Russia and China, not part of it, and voted against the resolution, both at the first committee and also at the General Assembly. And I think that is an important consideration for India. In my view, I think that's been an important consideration for India as to why we did not go along with the uh, sort of treaty. But at the same time, we did not want to oppose the treaty because India, in principle, is for the ASAT test ban. And therefore, India, along with other, I think, eight other countries, abstained from the assembly. But I mean, India should have been most comfortable with. But I think the difficulty comes from the fact that critical countries like Iran, Russia, China, none of them have been part of it. They voted against the resolutions. So that may have influenced Indian position on the treaty. Let's say it's the classic example when you say, I will sign it if you sign it first. <laughs> exactly. <absolutely. laughs> That's right. <laughs> so speaking a bit about geopolitics, since you already mentioned China, Russia so, so many times, mm. I think I would like to conclude this interview with a couple of more broader view questions about mm. the present situation. Do you think that India will search for a partnership with the U.S. or with China? I know it's a, in a sort of way superficial question. I'm simplifying no. something is much more complex, but I would like uh, to have union. Yeah, no, I think India is increasingly aligning with the U.S. and it has been the it's been the case for a for a while now. So if you look back, the NASA and the Indian Space Civil Space Agency, the Indian Space Research Organization, they have had a, a civil space working group for a very long time, uh, more than a decade now. 
But interestingly, India started the first space security dialogue with the U.S. They started this dialogue in 2015. Uh, I think uh, post-COVID, I don't know whether the dialogues have uh, resumed. Because of the day COVID, uh, there have been a couple of year uh, gaps now. But the fact that India started for the first time to engage in a space security dialogue with the U.S., followed by now Japan uh, in starting in 2019, and then thereafter, I think last year, we started a similar dialogue, space security dialogue with France. It clearly gives me a sense of when it comes to space security cooperation, space security partnerships, it is very clear that India will go along with the U.S. and so on and so forth. The fact that India joined the Artemis Accords as a 27th country is, again, something remarkable that these accords are a U.S.-led mechanism for lunar exploration and research. It's significant because... If you look back maybe a decade ago, decade and a half ago, India, till then, India's traditional position has always been to partner with the G20 countries, typically the countries at the CD and the Conference on Disarmament in Geneva, where space security issues are discussed. Um, so India has traditionally partnered with these countries. So to, from there, for India to join the U.S.-led mechanism, U.S.-led Artemis Accords, is a significant change that I see. Similarly, India has been increasingly engaged within the Quad on space security consultations. And the fact that the joint statements have repeatedly talked about that the countries will discuss, consult each other on rules of the road for space activities and so on and so forth. These are big changes that I see. Similarly, during Prime Minister Modi's visit to Washington, D.C. in June, NASA and ISRO agreed to collaborate on sending Indian astronauts to the ISS, International Space Station, in 2024. Again, that's a big deal, but the kind of changes that I'm seeing is quite significant. And so India has become a lot more pragmatic, a lot more realistic in terms of understanding which are those countries who are going to be the major powers, who do I want to, and given the kind of adversarial nature of relations between India and China over the last several years, but since 2020 in particular, when the two countries are locked in a border conflict, I think cooperation with China is all a no-no. So with the U.S., uh, U.S. security, uh, U.S. alliance partners, whether it is Japan, Australia, France, these are the countries that India is increased likely to partner with, whether it is lunar space cooperation or even beyond in broader space collaborations and so on and so forth. So it is the U.S. and U.S. partners that India has built a closer relationship with. Yeah, well, when it comes to speak about moon collaboration, we know the Chinese are building an international lunar research station. <laughs> and this right, is going to exactly. quite divide the world into, do you think that India might join them or considering what you just said, you see it is a part, not so probable? I think um, India may have had some thoughts about it in the past, given that Russia is also a partner with China in setting up that ILRS. So India may have given some consideration because of this Russia factor, but given the Russia factor is also changing in Russia-India relationship is also changing quite dramatically over the years and uh, the Ukraine conflict, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has made it a lot more difficult for India to kind of uh, uh, see possibilities of collaboration with Russia. So I think the possibilities of collaboration on the ILR is much bleak. And in fact, signing of the Artemis Accords is, uh, is an indication that India has made up its mind in terms of, especially when it comes to the lunar space cooperation, that India will park, go ahead with the U.S. and U.S. partners. Because all of the Artemis partners are also India's new security partners, whether it is Australia, Japan, South Korea, and a whole range of countries. 
So these are the countries that India is increasingly, increasingly strengthening its collaboration, strengthening its partnership with. So I think that's a, that's a route that India will continue to take. Fantastic, Raji. You've been perfect. Thank you very much. So interesting. Every time I listen to you, I'm always so interested. It's so important for us to have the overview on India and the Global South. It, it was incredible. Is there something that I didn't ask you or you would like to add? No, I'm, I think I'm good. I think no, the, you had great questions and I really enjoyed this, this chat with you. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be part of this conversation. It's my pleasure and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm looking forward to the next time. <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to that. Thank you so much, Emma. Thanks thank to you. you. If you want to keep the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global. Subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Emma Gatti, Editor-in-Chief of Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. See you next time. Ciao.